Um, there's one other passage, if you got your finger there in Psalm 78, you might want to go back and go uh, Deuteronomy, um, oh goodness, oh, I printed both sides, Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 is the, uh, is, is the other passage uh, that we'll look at uh, here in a few moments. But Psalm 78, and don't worry, we're not going to read the entire, uh, all 72 verses here. I want to read the first eight as a text. Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from uh, their children, uh, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep His commandments. It might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Psalm 78 is a, is a history lesson in Psalm. We just kind of read the, the preamble to it here. Uh, I, I was looking, and I believe this is the second longest Psalm, uh, 72 verses, uh, to Psalm 119. So it, uh, unless I missed another one in there, I'm pretty sure this is the second longest Psalm. It's um, certainly written in history after the kingdom divided, after Solomon died, the kingdom uh, of, of David divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. If you read on in here, the details show this was probably written after that. Um, it specifically addresses Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim, in, in verse 9 and then down in verse 67. And Ephraim was the, the main tribe in the northern kingdom after that division, after it took place. And uh, Ephraim, they dominated the history of that, uh, that tribe. And when you keep on reading, we're not going to get into this, just want to kind of talk about the, this passage give you some understanding on it. It, it. Here you find recorded how Ephraim, the, the, the tribe, the leadership, led the northern kingdom of Israel astray, led them away from God and into sin. It's recorded how God chose instead and chose uh, the tribe of Judah and the house of David. That's the very end of the, of the psalm. Uh, honestly, I was reading it. It kind of reminded me of a kind of reminded me of a, like a school fight song because there's a little bit of biasness in this where it's uh, talking about uh, Ephraim was wrong, but Judah was right. Kind of sounds like the Aggie Warham a little bit to me as I was uh, listening to that, reading it. In between those two mentions of Ephraim uh, is an overview of Israel's history, how God brought them out of Egypt. It recounts the plagues. It recounts the the Red Sea crossing. Recounts how He provided for them in the wilderness. But it's not a history that's just written to make the Israelites look great. Instead, beginning in verse 54, you see how they turned away from God after he had established them in the promised land. And it credits David and his kingdom with helping to bring them uh, back out of the darkness of the judges' period and kind of reestablish the, the true religion and, and true worship of God as you read down through there. That's a summary of verses 9 through 72. 
And uh, like I said, the first part, the part we read this morning, is kind of just a preamble to this history lesson. There's a big parallel here to, I think, to uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter number 6, and uh, just looking at the time, I'll skip down here just a little bit in this, but Deuteronomy 6, 4, Moses delivering this message to the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. He says, Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of, the, of thy house, and on thy gates. It, uh, you can go on down, verses basically 1 through 13, you can look at here, but there's this commandment here that says, don't forget what God has taught you. Don't forget what God has commanded you. Pass it on to the next generation. The, the, the This passage in Deuteronomy establishes the greatest truth. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, that He is the only God. We've been doing the Ten Commandments on, uh, on Wednesday nights, going through those. And uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He is singular. He is exclusive. Only through God is salvation. Only through God is truth. You have the greatest commandment. They ask Christ, what's the greatest commandment? And he quotes this verse, uh, verse number 5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. But the second's like unto it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. But you have the greatest truth. You have the greatest commandment. You have the greatest responsibility for man that thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve Him, that we should know Him, that we should follow Him, that we should serve Him. And then you have the greatest duty. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. The duty of each generation to take the truth of God that's been passed down to us, that we've learned, that we've experienced, and give it to the next generation, to give it to the next generation after that, and to pass it down. It is that duty, the passing of truth from one generation to the next, that uh, is the subject this morning. It is our duty to pass on the truth of God, the love of God, the blessings of God. And I've got four things from Psalm 78 that uh, I want to bring out to you on this subject. The first thing I want to say is hear the truth. In verse number 3, it says, Which we have heard heard and known and our fathers have told us first we have the personal responsibility that we have to know the truth we have to first possess it ourselves we have heard it we've learned it for ourselves we have known it we've experienced it for ourselves we've proven it we've tested it we know it to be true we've been told it by our fathers that someone has carried on the duty before of passing it down to us. If the next generation will know the truth, we need to pass it down to them. Some of us say, well, in truth, self-evident, and folks founding documents there, we all these truths to be self-evident. Well, there are truth is self, truth is truth. You don't have to pass it down for it to be true. It's always true. You can rediscover truth. You can find truth. I understand that. But you know, 
it's important that we pass it on. So people shouldn't have to discover the truth for themselves. You know, I was thinking with my kids how scary it is sometimes how they don't necessarily do what I tell them, but they do like I do. They catch on to my mannerisms. Uh, they pick up different things from from music to, to food, although I'm still working on the Mexican food with them. I hadn't quite got them on that. So. Some of the words or phrases that, uh, that, that, that my family will use. It's not something I ever said. Hey, Billy, Drew, Jenna, Allie, here, you say this. Here's a little phrase. Uh, or here, you like this movie. You do this. You know what? They just kind of picked that up from example. They picked that up from just being around me. What I've modeled is far more powerful than what I've simply just told them to do. The old saying is, actions speak louder than words. You know, what's scary today is uh, I look around and, and, and see, well, you know, every generation likes to pick on the young generation. Everybody does. But when I see these little kids and things and going out to the ball game or something, like, man, these kids, they need to know how to act. You know, the scary thing is they're acting just like their parents. <laughs> they're just passing on what they've learned. And you know who the parents act like? A lot of times they act like the grandparents. It's, it's amazing. It just it passes right on down. It's a vicious cycle that seems to gain momentum as it goes if it's unchecked. And you know, we've had, I think we've had a few generations now where as a society, parents have not taken the responsibility of raising their families as seriously as they ought to have. Honestly, I think a lot of a lot of parents over the past hundred years or so have really passed off some of the responsibility of raising their children to someone else. They've passed it off. So, well, the school will teach them. The school can teach them math and writing, but I'm gonna tell you, moral, spiritual stuff that needs to come from the home. That's where that needs to be uh, needs to be bred into them. Uh, they tried to let churches raise their children. I, I've seen. People say, uh, you know, what? I have my kids in church every time doors open. What happened? Well, it's more powerful to have that training at home, consistent than just a couple of times a week. We've let television and media, pop culture, raise our children. They let people have let everybody else do the job that they should have done. The parents, instead of stepping up and being the parents. You know what the kids have learned in each one? They've learned how to be a lousy parent. I mean, they've learned to be apathetic. And it's just passed down. The cycle continues. If you want to change the generation, it starts with somebody having the truth. you got to step in. Somebody has to gain the truth. Somebody has to hear it. Somebody has to know it. Somebody has to learn it from the previous generation. Somebody has to have the truth. That's what starts to break the cycle. This is going to confuse me. I printed this double-sided, and I usually don't. Number two, hide not the truth. Verse number four, we will not hide them from our from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, his strength, his wonderful works that he hath done. Now, here's what's scary about that cycle I just talked about, how things just seem to kind of snowball and get worse and worse as it goes on. What's scary is you go somewhere up the line, Somebody probably had the truth. Somebody 
knew what was right. Somebody did what was right. But somebody didn't pass it on. They hid it like candles under, under a bushel, as Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount. They hid it like the man in the parable that buried his talent. They hid it like somebody who stuffed cash under their mattress. You know, I was thinking on this, and I know the, the previous generation, and I have a tremendous respect for what we call that greatest generation that came through, fought World War II, uh, the backbone of our nation for decades was that generation. I have tremendous respect for it. Um, but they didn't talk a lot about things sometimes. And, you know, I have two of my great-grandfathers, and by the way, I was blessed to know seven of my great-grandparents. Not many people can say that. And I not just met them, or met, I feel like I knew seven of the eight. The one passed away long before I came along, but that's a tremendous blessing. God was very good to me in that. But my papaw, C.D. Souther, my big papaw, Raymond Halbert, I was thinking about them. And, uh, you know, it was, I, I think it was probably after they passed, I found out how they had served in World War II. They didn't tell it. They didn't tell those stories. I remember looking at a, a, a papaw's house down in Cleburne. And no photo. There's pictures of him and some buddies and stuff. And this is after he passed. I, like, I wish I knew who these guys were. This is so neat. I didn't know he was in Europe. I didn't know he. They just they didn't talk about that. It was kind of hidden away. I, I wish that I had known all that uh, during the time. Uh, I wish I could have heard about their experiences, but they were hidden away. You know, going back to the sermon, first you have to have the truth, but then you can't hide it. You can't just hide it away. It, that means you have to live it. You have to tell it. You have to teach it. That's why I like what's said in, in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Well, if Looking back there in verse 6, it says the words, the truth is supposed to be in our heart. It's in our heart, but it doesn't just stay there. It's not just hidden there. Because in verse 7, we teach the truth. We talk about the truth. Uh, all the time. It says while we're sitting, while we're laying, when we're getting up, when we're getting down. It's all the time, continual. Verse number 8. says we bind them on our hand. Everybody ever uh, do the old trick? You put the string on your, tie a string on your finger so you remember something? My problem is if I do that, I forget why I put the string on there. I'm, like, well, I'm supposed to remember something. But those old deals, uh, if it wasn't for Siri and my iPhone, I wouldn't remember nothing. If I don't put it on there, it's, it's gone. But it says, bind them, put them on your hand so you'll remember. So put it on frontlets. Uh, the, the, some of the Jews would have the hats. They put, uh, call them phylacteries. They'd hang down little things there with, the, with copies of some verses of them. So it said the law would be ever before their eyes. Uh, some of the Orthodox Jews do that. But it said, keep it before you all the time. Verse 9 says, write it on your posts, write it on your gates. Keep it where you see it all the time. This is the complete opposite of hiding it. We're talking about it. We're proclaiming it. We're reminding ourselves of it. It's everywhere before us. Our world needs Christians, good, solid, godly individuals now more than ever. Our families need them. Our churches need them. Our society needs them. But you can't hide it if you have the truth. You have to live it. You have to let that light shine forth. The third thing I want to say is you need to hope in truth. You hear it, you don't hide it. And I like this, there's hope in truth. Verse number 7 of Psalm 78. That they might set their hope 
in God and not forget the works of God but keep His commandments. That we have hope. Here's the goal. Our goal is not to pass the truth on so it's not forgotten. Our, our goal is not so people act right. Our goal is to change the heart. To pass the truth on, it takes root. And when that takes root, it brings hope. It brings hope. And hope that is, by the way, only as good as what it's anchored to. And that's hope that's anchored in God. We are the guides that bring the next generation to this destination, that they have this hope in them. Hope is an expectation. It's an expectation that God can and will save us from our sins. An expectation that God will guide us and protect us. An expectation that He will deliver His children. An expectation that God will be with us forevermore in that land of perfect peace and beauty. It doesn't just say to know the truth, though it says they're not going to forget the works there in in verse 7. It doesn't just say they're going to keep the commandments. It says they'll do that. They're going to do the right things. They're going to do the right actions. But it says, though, because of that hope, that means that their heart is stirred, that hope springs forth. Something is sparked within them, and they develop their own love for God. Teachers, I know we kind of relate to this, but uh, I was I was one I liked reading. I've always liked reading. I like audiobooks a lot more now because I can do other stuff while I'm listening to them. But I, I love reading. But some kids, you you can try. You can assign a book. You can hand them a book. You can make them read the book. But they never develop that love of reading. It's not kind of like that. What we're doing here. We want not just to teach the next generation to be a Christian. We want them to have it in their heart to love the things of God, to love Him, to be on fire for Him. That's hope brought to life. The fourth thing I want to share with you is in verse number 8. And all the previous points, as I was going through here, I, I, I let it kind of alliterate itself. As I was going through here, I like, I like doing that, you know. But I've got all these H words. We hear it. We hide it not then uh, the, the hope. This one, the H word, is not in the text, but I want to share this thought with you. In verse number 8, it says, It might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. You know, what follows in Psalm 78 could have been a very glowing account of all the successes all the great things that the nation of Israel did. It could have talked about the high moments where they trusted God. But what is here is really, it's it's honest. It's another H word. It's honest. The Israelites experienced firsthand the great miracles of God. They saw the plagues. They saw the Red Sea split. They saw all this stuff happen. Yet they went into unbelief. The adults that came out of Egypt They saw the plagues. They crossed the Red Sea. They heard the thundering voice of God on Sinai. Yet they failed to have the faith to cross over into the Promised Land. They died in the wilderness. The next generation that took possession of the land under Joshua. Yet it was not long until they didn't heed the words of Joshua and they chose not to serve the God that had brought them there. 
the next period of history there, you look at the history of the Jews, that period of the judges is a very dark time spiritually for Israel. Very confused, very uh, spiritually dark period. When you look at that uh, in the history of everything that happens there, it all continues until it kind of culminates there in 1 Samuel where God forsakes His tabernacle. They take out the Ark of the Covenant and it's captured by the Philistines and that's covered here in Psalm 70. In fact, I think this is a key passage to understand what was going on there. That This was part of God uh, judging them. This isn't a glowing report here that's given on the nation of Israel. It's kind of, uh, was it, uh, oh goodness, the guy that said paint his picture warts and all. This is a warts and all uh, kind of uh, uh, a picture of a nation of Israel that's given here. It's not glowing, but it's honest. And that's where humility steps in. I like the saying, I don't know who said it, I'll claim it if nobody else has, but I like the saying, men at best are men at best. At our very best, what are we? We're still men. We're still faulty. We still fail. We're still broken. We're not superhuman. We're not perfect. At our very best, we still fall short of the glory of God. Have we failed at times? Yes. Have our forefathers failed at times? Yes. But none of that negates the greatness of God. Rather, it magnifies it that God keeps putting up with us, that God keeps using us. It really magnifies His greatness. The goal in passing the truth on to the next generation is not for them to think we were great, but that they know that God was great. In doing so, when you're passing that down, sometimes you need a good dose of humility. Sometimes... We must teach by not by saying, hey, I got that one figured out. But we teach by saying, oh, I've been there. Let me tell you what not to do. <laughs> I've been in that situation. I made some mistakes. Sometimes we have to apologize for our own failures. I've had to go to my kids before and say, look, I'm sorry. I, you got in trouble. And now that I know the full story of what was going on, somebody didn't tell me the truth. And, and I'm, I'm sorry. I should not have got on to you like that. I've had to do that. Truth should breed humility, not pride. That should be the end result of having truth. It should uh, should breed humility. It shouldn't lift us up in pride. And the last three quick things here to conclude. First off, I want to say I do not think that we've lost the younger generations. I, I don't believe I, I don't believe that for a second. I believe God's word is powerful. I believe God can still save folks today like He did a century ago, 2,000 years ago. God can still do many amazing things. The stories of revivals we read about, God can still do that today. God can, and the gospel is still powerful enough to reach anyone. I, I don't doubt for a minute we cannot reach the next generation. But I will say we are definitely starting from behind. We've got an uphill battle. But so long as God lives, there is hope. The second thing I want to say is the more the world tries to silence us and limit us, the more we need to make our voices heard. And there's a lot of things going around right now, a lot of lies being proclaimed as truth. And there's a lot of pressure that says, well, churches be silent, Christians be silent. We don't care what the Bible says, leave that out, we're going to trust in this expert, we're going to trust in this, what have you. 
But can I tell you, the only way that truth dies is if it's not passed down or if it's not picked up. It has to be preserved. It has to be taken to the next generation. It has to be preserved so the next generation can have it and find it. We cannot be silent. We have to keep pressing on. And as musicians come, we'll have a short time of invitation. But the most important thing in all this is have you heard the truth yourself? I use illustration often, but you ever fly in an airplane and they go through all the rigmarole of uh, all, all the safety checklists, the first thing they tell you is when the little mask pops down from the ceiling, put it on yourself. Don't put it on the other person first. You have to put it on yourself. Because the thinking is they don't need two people to pass out. They don't, If you're still good, you're still capable to help that person next to you. But if you don't get them taken care of, then they've got two people passed out. You have to take care of yourself sometimes first. When it comes to the truth of God, the most important thing we can do today is have it in ourselves. To know the truth. To understand the truth. Before we can pass it on. That begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it all begins. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All truth comes from Him. We have to know Him to know truth. True wisdom begins with him. In knowing that we as sinners fall short of the glory of God, we as sinners stand guilty before a righteous and holy God, but that our Savior, our Christ, died for us, shed his blood for us to pay for our sin. And through him, through faith in him, Ephesians 39, not of works, not anything I can do with these hands, but by salvation, by grace, through faith, trusting, believing in Him, we can have salvation. That's the most important thing to do. Don't put that off. Don't delay. See me. See somebody. Grab somebody. Say, look, I want to know some more about that. It's the most important thing in the world. The next generation to be saved, we have to make sure this one is good. You have to make sure your own heart is true. Your own heart is right with God. And it begins with a relationship with Jesus. Well, the short time of invitation now is just stand, please. What number there, Owen? 109 at Heavenly Highways. We want to sing along with the invitation hymn. Then uh, we have a tremendous blessing here this morning. If after the invitation, we'll have a baby dedication. Excited about that. So after the after the invitation, we'll we'll be doing that. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, Lord. I thank you for this day. I thank you for an honor it is to be in here in this house. What a folks here visiting with us, some just dropping in, and some just uh, some some here for Lord to witness something very special here as we, uh, as we, we pray and dedicate this little baby girl to you. Lord, I'm so excited about today. But Lord, this message and thinking about this, this baby, this young family, Lord, just thinking about the world that we live in, my own children, how it is so necessary that we pass on the truth that we have it and we pass it on to this next generation. It's not too late. The Lord, we need to stand firm ourselves and we need to make sure that we are getting the truth out. Lord, there's this great need for the light. There's a great need for the truth in our society and our world today. Let us be that light that people can see your love and your greatness through us. Lord, I pray that this simple message just challenge us to the duty we have to help reach those around us, our own families, and, and, and the next generation upcoming.
challenge us, I pray, this, this simple sermon, this time of invitation, I hope it is. Amen.